we are reflecting on, we are celebrating the Old Testament. Looking back to understand and to appreciate that it is the Old Testament that, that lays the foundation for us to fully understand the beauty and the power and the eternal covenant of the New Testament. And last week we began that story and that series uh, by looking at the creation story. And today I want us to focus on the story of covenant as we look at the Old Testament. In fact, what we discover is that the Old Testament and indeed the New Testament are stories of covenant. Stories of covenant of how God comes into covenant with a people. A unique and particular people in order to bless all the peoples of the world. We have a God of covenant. Now you don't have to get too far into the scripture before you understand and realize that God is a God who makes covenant with his people. And with all people, as we see in this first covenant, what I call simply the rainbow covenant. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 13, if you'll remember the story of the flood of the earth, at the conclusion of that story, God comes to Noah and says, I will make a covenant with you and all the peoples of the world that I will not destroy the world again through flood. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 13, the Lord says, And I will set a bow in the sky so that when the clouds come over and, and you see the bow, you will be reminded of my covenant with you. Rainbows are Beautiful, aren't they? We have some pictures of some rainbows. I, I hope that you uh, will enjoy the beauty of God's creation here. And, and again, be reminded of the promise, the, the covenant that God has made with us, with the earth. That in the moment that we see that covenant, that rainbow, we would be reminded of God's gracious covenant with us. Look at this powerful picture here, the, the power of that storm and yet the promise and the beauty of God's covenant with His people not to destroy the world with flood, with waters again. You see, church, what we must be reminded is that God is a covenant God. In Genesis 9, verse 15, the Lord says, I will remember my covenant. This word remember speaks to the nature of God and of His character. God says, I will remember my covenant and never again destroy the world with a flood. You see, this word remember is one of the great words, it's one of the great characteristics and attributes of a covenant keeper. And certainly our God is one who keeps covenant Gay and I were visiting a, a few minutes last night, and, and she asked the question is, well, where do we express, where do we celebrate, where do we recognize covenant in our world today? And for me, the, the most natural and the first place that I would reflect on and go to is that place of marriage, that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman, but, but also that marriage is a, a covenant between that union and God. And so when we come to that marriage ceremony, when we, we come with that husband and wife standing before each other, they don't sign a contract with each other. 
They make a covenant with each other. Listen to the words. These are, are words of covenant that I use in, in those wedding ceremonies that I have the privilege to share in. And notice the language of covenant. I take you to be my wedded husband, my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. And notice these words of promise, these words of covenant. I covenant, I promise to honor you, to serve you, and to trust you for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health. And then we don't say this, but it's important to understand there's a period there. It's not a conditional statement. It doesn't say that I will have, have you and hold you till from this day forward. I'll honor you and I'll serve you and I'll trust you and I'll, I'll be there in better or worse or richer and poorer, comma, as long as you do this, this, and this. You see, it's a covenant. It's, it's a person coming to another person. It's a, a man coming to a woman and saying, I will do this. I will make a covenant to you. I will love you and cherish you. And I will be faithful to you as long as you shall live, period. It's a covenant commitment. A mutual relationship of covenant with each other. Not a contract that, that stipulates this, this, and this, but a covenant relationship that we enter into on, on behalf with freedom. I enter into this covenant relationship with you. And then we symbolize that marriage covenant with a wedding ring. A sign of that covenant that we carry with us day by day as a reminder to the world as a reminder to ourselves that we have made covenant with each other. And just as the Lord in Scripture, as we read that the Lord remembers His covenant, one of the most significant and powerful ways that we honor and keep our covenants with each other, especially in that marriage covenant, is that we remember. We look at our ring and we remember. We remember our wedding day and those vows that we spoke and we remember that we have promised, that we have covenanted to have and to hold and to honor and to love and to respect and to serve because we have made a covenant relationship with another person. And as we look into the scripture, particularly the Old Testament, we see the story of a covenant God. There's a couple of different kinds of covenants that we can make. One is a covenant of parity where two equal partners is in that marriage covenant. We come together and we covenant with each other in relationship. And certainly that covenant can be broken. But as I mentioned also, we enter into that covenant relationship with God. A suzerain, a, a suzerainty covenant is a covenant between a strong and a weaker party. And God is that strong party is that strong person of covenant enters into relationship with us because God chooses to God pursues covenant with us we are that weaker that feeble that sinful that flawed partner in covenant relationship and yet God chooses to enter into that relationship I almost wonder if that parenting relationship can be seen as the suzerain covenant, the parent co parents covenanting 
to care for that infant, that helpless infant, and saying, I will love this child and give myself to this child unconditionally, faithfully, loyally, to nurture and strengthen and to raise this child up. I enter into covenant as a parent of this child. And certainly as that child grows and matures, that covenant relationship can grow and mature as well. But again, a relationship based upon love and faithfulness and loving kindness. As we go through the Old Testament scriptures, we see that God is faithful. The word chesed, the word loving kindness is used to describe God's relationship with those that he comes into covenant with. And that word is understood and translated again as faithfulness, as loyalty, as loving kindness. And God is always faithful in his relationship with us. It's almost, in the, in, the, in the Hebrew, we almost have an equivalent in the word agape in the Greek. This idea of agape love, that, that God enters into this love relationship with us. It's unconditional because God is a God of covenants. As we enter into the rest of the Old Testament, I, I want us to look at four specific covenants that God made and that progress in, throughout the Old Testament. The first is the covenant with Abraham. It's the covenant that's first described in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. But notice it's restated again in Genesis 17, verse 7, when the Scripture says, the Lord says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And as we read and as we learn about the covenant that God makes with Abraham, we discover that God wants to bless Abraham and his descendants. But not so that they can keep that on their own and be selfish with it, but so that God can bless all the peoples of the world through Abraham and through his descendants and his people. Sometimes we call this Abrahamic covenant the patriarchal covenant. It's restated again in, in the book of Chronicles when, when the Lord says this covenant which was made between Abraham and an oath, a promise, a covenant to Isaac was also confirmed to Jacob. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, we discover that Yahweh renews his covenant with each new generation. And in the story of covenant, Abram becomes Abraham. The word Abram means a noble or exalted father. Well, Abram was about 80 plus years old when he entered into this covenant with God without children. His wife Sarai was without child. And it was kind of amusing, I think, to Abraham to think, I'm going to be the, the father of a great nation. And yet he had no children. And we see how Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, kind of schemed and made their own plan to, to fulfill this promise. But at the age of 99, the Lord came to Abram and said, I'm going to fulfill my covenant with you. And your wife, who's now 90, is going to have a child. And when Abraham was 100 years old, his wife had a child. When Abraham and Sarah learned that they were going to have a child, the scripture says they laughed. Wow, God, you've got a great sense of humor. And so Isaac's name means he laughed. 
And Isaac becomes the son of promise, the son of covenant that God renews his covenant with. Because you see, Abram and Sarah had their own way of fulfilling God's work and God's will in their life. But God had a different plan. God had a plan where he would be glorified. Isaac married Rebekah and had Jacob and Esau. They were, they were twins and Esau was the firstborn. And the word Jacob means deceiver. The word Jacob means the one who attacks from behind. And we see in this battle between Jacob and Esau, these twin brothers, this competition and this tension through their lives so that Jacob deceives his brother and he steals his birthright and he steals the blessing that was intended for him from his father. And in that powerful scene in, in the scripture in Genesis where Jacob is wrestling with God and God changes Jacob's name from deceiver to Israel. The word Israel means the one who strives with God, the one who struggles with God. Jacob, from now on, you're not going to be fighting and struggling with your brother, but now you're going to enter into this covenant relationship with me, and you're going to strive with me, and you're going to struggle with me. And the blessing is passed on through Jacob, through Israel and his descendants. Several generations later, in fact, several centuries later, the children of Israel have made their way into Egypt. And they've been found to be in captivity in Egypt. They are slaves in Egypt and they begin to cry out and groan to the Lord. And the scripture tells us that God remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he began to stir and he began to, to work in the life of Moses so that we have what we would call the, the covenant of Moses or maybe even the Sinai covenant because it's restated, it's reformed there on Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6, the scripture says, the Lord says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God heard the groanings of his people, and he came and he remembered his covenant, and he set them free. And it's interesting, isn't it, that he set them free to be priests, to be servants. God sets the slaves free so that they can serve. You see, what we discover is in the story of covenant, the enslaved are set free by God. And they're set free so that they might be about a new and a greater work, and that is to serve others so that they might be a blessing to the peoples of the world. The story of covenant tells us, it reminds us, that God is in the work of setting people free. The third covenant that we see in the Old Testament is the covenant with David. If you remember this shepherd boy, this runt of the litter, this one that was left out in the fields to, to, tend, for the, to tend the sheep and the flock while the great prophet Samuel came to anoint a new king. And as the sons of Jesse passed before Samuel, and oh, they looked so good and they looked so kingly, 
And yet Samuel did not find one to, to anoint and to be the new king. And he said, well, are there other sons? The father said, oh, well, yeah, there's David out in the field, but you don't want him. He's not kingly material. The scripture tells us that it's God who looks at the heart. And David came. And this shepherd boy was made king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, the Lord makes a covenant with David and says, Your throne shall be established forever. A shepherd becomes a king in the story of covenant. An insignificant boy out tending his flocks becomes a king through which the line of Messiah comes. And not just a shepherd boy, but as you know the story of David, what we read and what we remember is that David is not just a shepherd boy, but that David, as he grows and matures, as he struggles and wrestles with the Lord, as is his heritage, we find David to be an adulterer. We find David to be a murderer. And yet, through God's covenant and calling David back, and through David's repentant heart, God takes this repentant adulterer, God takes this repentant murderer, and renews and reaffirms his covenant with David. Finally, as we get into the prophet Jeremiah, there's a, a new covenant. A new covenant that's prophesied. A new covenant that we're promised is coming. In Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, the scripture says, The days are coming. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with Israel. And I will put my law within them and on their heart. And I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. You see... This new covenant that Jeremiah is telling us about and telling the people of God about is the ultimate fulfillment of the previous covenants. It's the coming together of the Abrahamic covenant and of the covenant with Moses and of the covenant with David. There's a new covenant that will bring all of these together and fulfill those and that covenant. And this is the covenant that we know today that is ultimately and finally realized in Jesus Christ. And when we hear the prophecy of a new covenant, that this God of covenants is going to change and transform our hearts, He's not going to write His new covenant in stone tablets that can be broken. He's going to write them on hearts that can be mended and repaired. And made new again. Because you see, the new covenant is a covenant of grace and of forgiveness. In the story of covenant, the sinful are forgiven. Church, it is so critical that we understand and that we read and acknowledge and, and reflect on the God of the Old Testament. This God who is a God of covenants. Because He is the same God that we read about and learn about in the New Testament that became flesh in Jesus. And who came and who died. 
and was rose again, and today lives, and today comes to offer and invite each of us into covenant with Him. A covenant of abundant life today, but also a covenant of eternal life. You see, the stories of old tell us and remind us that God blesses and transforms lives through covenant. And church, if we miss this story of covenant, we miss the way that God comes and interacts in our lives. The way God becomes flesh and dwells among us. So the question for each of us today is, are you in covenant with God? Are you in covenant with God through Jesus Christ? For you see, it's through Jesus that we are each and every one of us invited to come into covenant relationship with God. And it is in that covenant relationship that God blesses and transforms and changes us. It is in that covenant with Jesus Christ where the sinful are forgiven, where shepherds become kings. Where adulterers and murderers find grace and forgiveness and future. Where the enslaved are set free. Church, through the covenant of Christ, deceivers can strive with God and experience His power and His transformation in their lives. Are you in covenant with God today? Let's pray.